What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Dipped in Tone. I'm Rhett. I'm Zach. And uh, you guys catching up to do? We back. You're back. I'm back. I was uh, I was gone for like three weeks on a little you vacation are. out to Colorado. Colorado. Did you have a, a good time? We did. It was great. We took our camper out there, and uh, my my childhood best friend who I grew up with lives out there now in Durango. So we spent some days out there. And we just went all over the state, and then Tilly had a big race, uh, this big gravel race we shot called the Rad, um, mm-hmm. which was a ton of fun. Getting to chase all these pro cyclists around the hills of southern colorado rad i.e. the awesome. name of the race so yeah what's new with how, you? how long does it take to drive with a trailer that um, far? <laughs> so with the fj the fj is not a good tow vehicle it just doesn't have the power mm-hmm. and our trailer is small it's only 17 feet which in travel trailer size is like a pretty small trailer so i can with no headwind i can do like 60 miles an hour on the highway if there's any kind of headwind like we when we were driving home we went through new mexico and there's like a 30 mile an hour headwind and I had my foot to the floor engine pinned and we were doing like 40 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour on the oh, highway. It was brutal getting like that sucks. five miles a gallon, six miles a gallon. Oh man. So a new tow vehicle will hopefully be in my future some point in the next God knows when, but sure. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I uh, it was my birthday um, this past weekend. Happy birthday. But, Thank you. Um, but right before that, we had a, we, we have never had like a family, uh, like a doctor, you know, like, like kid, kiddo has a doctor, okay. but Morgan, and I don't. So I went and all dudes out there listening. Cause you, you're just probably just like me. You're like, I'm not going to the doctor. They don't need to know anything <laughs> about me. Um, I have high cholesterol. So now I'm on, <laughs> Yep. I'm on a, uh, not a strict diet, but more of a diet than I'm, uh, I'm losing weight, which is good. But well, also it's like, man, that, that's not the thing you want to hear. You know, pre forty, like, hey, you're you got high cholesterol, and you should really like yeah. cut back on like red meat. Like, I've, oh man, but I've that's got my that favorite. Too, but it's genetic. <sighs> so. Mine is too, but yeah. still, I need to be more. I don't like the trips to Five Guys. You know, I have to like slow down yeah. a little bit. Yeah, see, but, but I just don't have the self discipline to do any kind of dieting. So I'm just way I see it. If I make it to seventy, it's fine, and then everything <laughs> past that's bonus. Ooh, I don't like thinking about it. So I'm going to, I'm going to live as, as I'm going to live forever. I don't know if you guys know that <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, before we get started, uh, with the episode, thanks to all our patrons over on Patreon. All you guys supporting the show really means a lot to us. And if you want to learn more about supporting dipped in tone and what we do, hit the link in the description or the show notes, and you can learn about the tiers and supporting dipped in tone uh on patreon yeah we actually just recorded a patreon only little uh, episode here where we answered some questions and i went on a little bit of a rant about the tone master pro <laughs> yeah <laughs> which you can only get that you can only get that <laughs> uh if you sign up for the patreon links down below also please subscribe we're coming up on are we almost at twenty thousand subs i think we're getting close yeah so please if you like what we do here Please subscribe on YouTube, follow us on whatever podcasting platform you listen to. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, helps new people find the show, and uh, we appreciate the support. We've been doing this for like three years now, right? Something like that? Yeah, it's it's pretty surreal. Um, when I, I, I was I was thinking about that, and I went back and looked, and it's some of the first thumbnails of us, and my beard isn't white, and my <laughs> hair is not white on the side. So I was like, man, we've yeah. been doing this a long time. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, but also big thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Sweetwater. I, I can't get guitars out of my head, man. It's like, I don't need anything. 
but I am constantly thinking about this stuff. And especially when you have some things you want to sell, you don't think about how I could save that money, how I could invest that money. Mm-hmm. You think about how quickly can I spend that money? Yeah. And you should spend it at Sweetwater. Yeah. I have a rule <laughs> with selling gear where if I sell gear, that money should st- go towards other gear. That's a general rule that I try and follow. It doesn't always work because life happens sometimes. But sure. uh, yeah, so for me, when I'm selling gear and it's time to upgrade something, I go straight to Sweetwater. And I will say, I just did a video a few weeks ago about you know the five levels of Telecaster. And so Sweetwater sent me five tellies, one of which I kept. Um, but they all came from the guitar gallery with the exception of the, the, the Squire, all the ones that were from the guitar gallery came set up in tune, basically out of the box, intonated correctly, played great, felt great. So yeah. Sweetwater. It's a a worry free experience. (laughs) Worry free. All right. Thanks Sweetwater for sponsoring today's episode. Let's get on to our guests. I'm incredibly excited about today's episode. We have Adam Levy on. Adam is one of my favorite guitar players alive today. He's had an amazing career. Uh, he's played with a, a bunch of Amos Lee and Nora Jones and, and all kinds of people. But he is a, an established guitarist and solo musician and artist on his own. And he has, I think he's one of the most tasteful and best sounding guitar players alive today. So Yeah. Yeah, I um I had known the music he played on, but I never really knew about him as a player until recently and been diving into his catalog and I, I'm really enjoying it. His his album with Mason Stoops is like so wow, Chef's so Kiss. Good. I love it. So yeah. yeah, incredible player and heck of a nice guy. So yeah, he's got a new book out, he's got a new album out called Spry. All that stuff will be linked in the description box down below. Without any further ado, here is our interview with the one and only Adam Levy. Adam Welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Rhett. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Man, I, I am I am uh, thrilled to to have you on and, and talk to you. I've I've been a fan for for quite a few years, man. So this is great. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what to say, but thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're definitely excited to pick your brain about everything you, you you've done. It's really cool. So let's let's jump in with just a, a question we got from a friend of ours, McKinley, that I think is an okay. apt way to start this interview. Okay. Why is the 335 the guitar of choice for you in an organ trio context? Mm. Because in an organ trio context, um, for me, a lot of what I'm doing, it's more about... Um, single note stuff, melody stuff, more than chords. When when I'm in an organ trio, uh, a lot of the time I'm playing the melody of the tune, I'm taking solos, and I I don't have to do a lot of comping because the organ player pretty much never stops playing chords even when they're soloing. It's kind of the magic of the the organ. Uh, And... In that context, I really want the guitar to be this big, bold voice. Um, I don't need it to blend or be kind of, you know, airy and transparent. I need it to sound like Solomon Burke is singing. I mean, if 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 only if only I could do that. But that that's what I'm aiming for: just a big, bold sound, like a, a big voice or a, a big tenor saxophone sound that that's my conception in an organ trio 
Do you feel that the 335 gives you something over that that maybe something like a Les Paul or another like a solid body humbucker guitar doesn't? Well, you know, I when I was really getting just started on electric guitar, me and my friend Arlen, uh, he had a couple of like off-brand copy guitars. He had like a a Les Paul copy for a while and a, a cheap Telecaster copy. And those were cool guitars. I kind of wish I could go back in time and, and play them or find guitars like that. But, you know, in our little town, I would, I got a good, a good guitar, a 335 before he did, or before some of our friends did. And so, so much of what I, my early experiences, my formative experiences on the guitar were around an ES 335. Then over the years, I've owned Les Pauls and, and Telecasters, but I always feel at home on that guitar. So it's hard to say like what's better or, or best. I think actually a Telecaster in an organ trio sounds like a really good idea, uh, I would now that makes me want to like make an organ trio record with Telecaster now. And actually, now that I think of it, I, I made a record called Buttermilk Channel like 20 years ago. And about half of it is on my 335 and half of it is on this uh, one-off uh, Telecaster copy that this guy had made for me, this powder blue Telecaster that I didn't keep. And I always forget about the guitar and then once in a while, I'll go back and hear, I'll listen to that record and remember like, oh, yeah. So a, a Les Paul, I can't speak to because I, in my whole life, I've probably played a Les Paul for less than 10 hours over the course of my whole life. But I have played a lot of tellies. I think telly in an organ trio could be a really cool sound. Yeah. Is there, is there something about like the attack and the personality that a Telecaster would would lend to that sort of arrangement that you think would balance well, or is it? I mean, I guess it's all trying to fit to the song and, and the vibe of every tune. But I imagine you know there's there's a immediacy to that sort of single coil, especially in that bridge position, that would be so different than a PAF style you know humbucker loaded ES guitar. Yeah, exactly. It's like. Uh... It's the envelope of the note, like the, the shape of it, you know? And even in the organ world, like the Hammond organ, there's there's a, a, a button on the organ that's called percussion, and it adds attack to the front end of the note. And when you don't have the percussion on, the organ is is pretty immediate, but it doesn't have that kind of sound that we get, especially if you're somebody who, who plays with a pick. And then if you're playing on a Telecaster, that, you know, that uh, amp amplifies or accentuates that more, the, the front end of the note. I just did a gig, uh, a, a jazz gig over this uh, past weekend where it wasn't with Hammond organ, but it was with a jazz group with acoustic piano, upright bass, a jazz drum kit, a tenor saxophone, and a singer and me. And I brought a Telecaster with me. I have a Telecaster with a humbucker in the neck and a regular 
a Tele Bridge pickup. And I, I brought it because it was expedient. That guitar travels easier. It's it's in a case that's easier to get into an overhead bin. So I didn't bring it for musical reasons. I brought it because it was practical. But it actually, in that context, speaks. It's really natural. I think people maybe sometimes judge a book by its cover. They they kind of put guitars in buckets and like this guitar does this and this guitar does that. But a, a lot of it is just what you do with your hands anyway. It's it's really like, I feel like the instrument itself is maybe just a third of, of, all, of all that stuff. Yes, you have to think about the attack. You have to think about how stuff speaks. But I was able on the telly to play a lot of lines where I was in unison with the tenor sax or like in harmony where like the tenor, it's a band that usually has trumpet, but the trumpet player couldn't make this gig for some reason. So I was the trumpet player in some of the horn arrangements and I was able to get a, a pretty, I wouldn't say I made that Telecaster sound like a trumpet, but I was able to get a nice blend with the tenor that sounded idiomatic for what we were doing. So you are such a distinct player and that's part of what I love about it. So you're one of those players to me that as soon as I hear you play, you're just unmistakable. Like that's Adam Levy playing. So when it comes to a guitar, do you find yourself, are you sensitive to how a guitar feels and its personal personality and its character and you're playing to that? Or are you looking at it more as just a tool where you're letting your own voice come through no matter what you happen to be playing? Yes. And yes, I think, Yes, to both of those. Um, I like to think that I am me wherever I go. Uh, sometimes I'll be in a recording studio where I've brought my guitar, but there's something really cool hanging on the wall that I'm like, oh, wow, I'm going to try that one on this next tune. And of course, it sounds different than the guitar that I brought. But I, I don't think it sounds like somebody else is on the track, you know, it, it, um, but it does bring out stuff that over this weekend um, that I was just mentioning, like I, I brought this Telecaster, but I was using backline amps. And uh, the first night there was a reissue deluxe reverb that crapped out during soundcheck. And the sound guy was like, oh, man, you know, I, I have an amp in my trunk. I play guitar. I have an amp in my trunk. I said, great, please bring it in. He brought it in, and it was this, like, monoprice stage right amp that I think you can get on the Internet for, like, 150 bucks or something like that. But it had tubes in it and a, and a Celestian speaker. So I thought, okay, cool. Tubes, reverb, Celestian, I'm in. And it sounded great, but I had to play – it 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 wasn't a, like a deluxe reverb sounding amp at all. So I had to kind of play to that amp. And then the next night there was a twin reverb, a reissue twin that was doing something really weird when I would play in the lower register. Like I'd play a note and then it would dip out and then kind of come back in with this kind of hair around it, almost like the end of the note. If you had a fuzz pedal, you know, that kind of, but that, so I'd play a note and it would go and come back in. And that wasn't happening at soundcheck, but it happened on a tune where I'm featured out front with nobody else playing. It's like, okay, guitar feature. And then this crazy sound is happening. 
And to answer your question, like, I just have to play to what's happening. Like, that's what's happening. And I play to that. So in, in that way, yes, I play to whatever the guitar wants to do or the amp wants to do. But as far as you know, how much of it is just my own personality or something. Um, for better or worse, I think I, I, I get more like myself as the, as years go on. I'd say that's for better. I feel like oh. that's, that's should kind of as a guitar player or any musician, I feel like that should be all of our goal, right. Is to try and sound more and more like ourselves, the older and more experienced we get, you know? Yeah. So going back to the, organ trio thing i i wanted to ask you know you get to play in a lot of different contexts and ensembles how is your approach different to playing with an organ trio versus a more traditional group with a with a bass player yeah um when i play in a in a like in a say a trio with with an upright bass player and drums I try to play in kind of two tiers where maybe I'll, I'll play a little melodic idea and then play a chord idea and play another, you know, play some melody and then uh, fall back and play some chords. And, and I want that to come across in kind of a depth of field way where like the melody is happening and then the chords are a little quieter and maybe a little darker. It's an illusion. I mean, I'm not working a volume pedal. I'm, I'm not doing a lot. I don't, I don't think I'm doing a lot with the knobs when, as I'm doing this, it's all just touch stuff and where you place your right hand on the string or, you know, using thumb and fingers. I love to do that. And, I think it's in, it's part of what can make a trio sound more dimensional for the listener because there's just you know drummers do that too. It's not if you think about what a drummer does, they're not hitting everything at the same dynamic. The ride cymbal and the snare cymbal and the kick drum are not all at one dynamic. They're constantly making choices about what's what's coming forward, what's laying back. They have ghost notes and stuff like that. So I'm trying to do something more like that in a trio without organ in a bass and drums trio. In an organ trio, it's harder to do that because the floor of sound is just higher up. You, you almost never get to real uh, silence in an organ trio. So everything I do has to be a little bit more uh, operatic and playing to the, to the rafters a, a, a little, a little bit. Like, of course it's possible to play ballads in an organ trio and it's possible to play with nuance, but just the, that, the upper and lower part of what's possible shifts for me. Uh, I, yeah, more than anything, I just want it to sing and, um, and feel, feel good. 
if we could back up just for one second, you talking about how you always feel like yourself, regardless of what type of instrument you're, or type of guitar, rather you're playing. I, I feel like myself, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way. When when I pick up Strat, I tend to play Jimi Hendrix style and Steve Ray Vaughan style. And when I pick up my Les Paul, I play Billy Gibbons or Jimmy Page or whatever. And I feel like I struggle to have that confidence to play just like myself, regardless of whatever is, is in my hands. Do you have any advice to players who have not yet found that confidence, how to maybe let go of these preconceived notions? That's a kind of a big question. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to think about it for a second before I just open my mouth. Yeah, I mean, w one thing that you could do is, you know, stop listening to guitar players for a month just as an experiment. And just listen, listen to, still listen to as much music as you want to, but just go on a like, you know, guitar fast for about a month you'll never erase the sound of billy gibbons or Jimi hendrix from from your memory you, you just you can't but try to get some other stuff going on just as like an experiment do that for a month and see if you can just try to notice what people sound like who aren't guitar players and without trying to copy them, maybe just take notes of like what they're doing. And of course, if you're talking about a piano player or a tenor player or a singer or whatever, would, the things that you're going to notice aren't going to be, oh, that's a single coil sound or that's a middle position sound or that's a cocked wah sound or that's a martial sound. All you can really notice is what's the music or what's the mood or how does it make me feel or what are their phrases like you know how do they phrase what they're doing so you it takes away all of the elements of the equipment and you just notice all the other stuff which is the stuff that is i think is you when when you get back to it and and a really big year for me musically uh, one was when I was about 18. I had went to music school, this, this place in LA called the Dick Grove School of Music. I don't know if you guys are heard of it. It was, it closed a long time ago, but I went through a year through the guitar program and then I wanted to stay in school because I just, I liked the environment there and I wanted to learn more, but the program was just a year. I, I did the guitar program and then, then they didn't have any more guitar classes for me to take. So I went through, they had a composing and an arranging program where you learned how to write music and write for strings and woodwinds and brass. And in that year, that composing and arranging year, I hardly touched the guitar unless I had a gig or something but I, I wasn't gigging that much because I was just trying to focus on school. So, I, you know, I, I thought about music all the time. I was writing music and conceiving of music and listening to music, but it, it was not about the guitar. And I found that when I went back to the guitar after that year, 
I was closer, even though I was only whatever, 18 or 19, I was a lot closer to finding my voice on the guitar than I had been in the whole year that I spent in the guitar department. Wow. I love that idea of a guitar fast. I feel like I'm kind of on one of those at the moment right now, just not listening to a lot of guitar based stuff. And I'm actually really not even playing that much at the moment other than to, you know, when I feel just, you know, a creative moment. And it's usually when I am playing guitar at this point, it's in the context of trying to make something. It's not, you know, trying to practice or learn other things. And at least for me in the past, that has been a huge thing that's helped me step out of ruts and repetition in my playing. It's just like putting the guitar down for a few days or a week or, or whatever. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. And I feel like not a lot of people talk about that. The idea of just stepping away for a bit is huge. You know, I th- I think it's essential that, that we do it, you know, maybe once a year you, you set aside whatever you can do, uh, or I, I heard somebody I was reading an interview where he said there's one day a week. This wasn't a guitar player. It was a bass player or a trumpet player. It was somebody in the jazz sphere. And they were saying, yeah, one day a week they don't practice. Maybe it's Sunday. And they just take like a Sabbath. So, you know, whether you think of it as a, a weekly Sabbath or something that you do over an extended period, like a week or a month, you know, once a year or whatever, you know, find a rhythm that works for you. But I, I, I think it can really do a lot. So I want to go back to your early days. You grew up in, in Southern California. You said you went to guitar school. You you studied under Ted Green for a while. Yeah. What was that did, like? Yeah. It, it was incredible because, you know, I had been already, I'd, I'd been reading his books. I had his chord chemistry book and I had another book called modern chord progressions and those books are just so uh rich with information you know and if you're just by yourself at home sometimes you're not even sure where to start uh and when i got to study with ted I was I was kind of expecting that his teaching style would be kind of how it is in the books, which is just okay. I'm going to assume you you know what you're doing basically, and we're just going to start in the middle and and here we go. And here's tons of information, and you'll organize it however you want to when you get home. The books are kind of like that. They're just like this, especially chord chemistry is this incredible. Uh, kind of flood of guitar wisdom. But if you're a teenager by yourself trying to figure it out as I was, it was kind of like, I I couldn't quite get it. But then when I got to study with Ted Green, he was quite the opposite of that. He never overwhelmed, he never tried to overwhelm me with like, oh, here's another sheet. Yeah, uh, here's another sheet. Here's another, you know, he wouldn't like send you home with 20 pages and say, see you next week, have this, have it all together. He was very, uh, he was a really good listener. When you would ask him a question, he would really like think about it. And he would remember stuff that you would talk, uh, talk about. So you, you could never show up 
and try to distract him from, you know, something that you had talked about in your last, like he would remember something and he would really try to help you stay focused. And he would, he had tons of handouts that he had made over the years, but he would, sometimes he'd write a new one, but it was very custom, you know, and he would teach each person differently. Like I sometimes would show up a little early to my lesson to kind of sneakily get to overhear the last five minutes of the person who was taking a lesson before me, you know, and I'd have to sit in the other room and be quiet. And I noticed that the way that Ted taught me wasn't the same way that he taught the other guy. Like he really was kind of a savant in a, besides just being an incredible musician. He was a great, um, he could really just figure out where you were at and and how to help you and how to how to give you the stuff in a way that you would actually get, which I guess is almost impossible in a book anyway. Like what book can be that way? But he was just so um, he he was great. He was a really special special teacher. I, I've never. No, known another teacher that was that dialed in to his students. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I, I know a few players that took lessons from him for for quite a while, and everything I've heard about Ted was that he was really a special teacher. And speaking of books, you just released a new book, String Theories, right? Yeah, I did. I uh, I just ordered my copy, so I'm, I'm waiting for it to get here. But can you kind of take us through like the idea behind it and what you should expect to get? out of the book? Yeah, sure. Um, it's, it started from the idea of having kind of three, I co I should say I co-wrote this book with my friend, Ethan Sherman, and he had been watching some of my early YouTube videos from like, I don't know, 2014 or 15 when I first started doing little lessons and, at some point a few years ago, he said, you know, I think there might be a book here. And I hadn't thought of it that way. Uh, but we we looked at some of the lessons that I'd made on YouTube and thought, you know, which of these would actually make the most sense on the page in a book. And then we wanted to have it where there's three different things going on. There's uh, reflections, challenges, and tips. So the tips are kind of quick hits, like, okay, you got a gig tonight. Uh, here's something you can take with you to the gig that you don't have to think about too much. It's just kind of a quick hit, like, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's just a, a little idea about, you know, how to phrase that doesn't take eight pages to explain, just like some little idea or something about chord voicings or rhythm. So those are the tips. And then the challenges would be something that is actually going to take more work on your part. Like there's a section on playing something in every key, playing something in all 12 keys. So it talks about how to actually, uh, how to, how to structure your practice time in a, in a results oriented way so that you can actually do it. It's not just this idea. Oh, you should play music in all 12 keys. Cool. Next page. It's not like that. It's really like, okay, Here's a thing. Here's why you should do it. 
here's how to do it. Here's the specific steps. So that, those ch the challenges are things like that. And then reflections are more, uh, yeah, just exactly what you would think from a reflection. Stuff to think about. I don't know if you know this book, uh, The Advancing Guitarist by Mick Goodrick. Mm -hmm. Do you know that book? Yeah. So in the front part of the book, there's tons of material, stuff to do with scales, stuff to do with intervals, stuff to do with rhythm. And it's a lot. And then you get towards the back of the book and there's a whole bunch of kind of like one-liners, uh, not comedy one-liners, but just like little <laughs> kind of Zen things to think about, um, about not having regrets or about, you know, there's something he says about uh, sadness is kind of a universal thing. Everybody can relate to it. So, you know, if you, if you channel that and you're playing, not that you want to play sad all the time, but there's times when you can channel that and you're going to reach pretty much everybody because everybody's had the blues in one way or another. And if, if you're sharing something honest, it's very, uh, can be very, a, a way of, of reaching a lot of people as you play and, and things like that. Just things about music that you don't learn in music school and that you might not notice when you're doing just all the mechanic, mechanical work that we have to do to play. So that's what the reflections are in our book. We, Ethan and I both love that book and a lot of our favorite music books don't have notes and chord frames and tabs in them. They're just, stuff to think about and so we wanted to have some of that stuff too being self-deprecating on yourself and reflecting sometimes can turn to self-deprecation as guitar players or musicians and it's so uh can create so many roadblocks to playing so seeing somebody say hey let's 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 think about these things that's that's really cool and something that doesn't often get discussed uh you know because i think a lot of times people will look back at and I'm sure you've experienced this. I'm sure everyone has. You look back at a performance and you beat it down and then you show it to one person. And they said, oh, that's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. And it's so hard to get out of your own head and actually just enjoy what you've done in the moment. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the things I can't even remember if this is one of the reflections in the book, but uh, there, I do think it's sometimes after a gig, if I've thought things went terribly, I'll be backstage talking to the other people in the band, or I'll go out front and I'll talk to somebody who was there and they'll say, wow, that was incredible. I loved it when this happened or that happened. And the younger me would have been like, oh yeah, but it wasn't really that good because this happened or that. I mean, like there's a, an old joke about you know, a musician is backstage after a gig and there's a knock on the door and, uh, you know, there's like a fan backstage and the, the, this, the person is like, oh, wow, you know, this, this was, I don't usually come backstage or try to talk to musicians, but I just love this show so much. And, you know, I don't even really like jazz, but a friend brought me here. I didn't know what to expect and I didn't think I'd like it, but it, I was just so moved and it was so beautiful. And you really told so many stories, even without words. And I, I just, 
I feel differently about music now. This was just so special. And then, you know, this jazz pianist who's sitting there getting all this, like, kind of stares off for a, a couple seconds and says, uh, were you there first set or second set? Because, <laughs> you know, they're just so in their head about, you know, whatever. And uh, it's hard. It's, yeah, there, there's definitely a fine line of, like, you don't want to get so reflective that you shut yourself down. Um, but in the same way, like, we were talking about taking a guitar fast, um, you know, a little bit of reflection can go a long way because ultimately you want to do more of what is working and less of what's not working. And if you just keep going and going and just grinding away at the same stuff on the guitar day after day, year after year, decade after decade, then you're going to kind of drift away from what your goals are, what you're trying to do. Like you, um, you have to, even I think this is one of the things I think in the book too, about vibrato, like we all learn how to do vibrato when we're 12 or 13 or something on the guitar. But it's something that as players mature, like I think can be something different and if you want it to be for I mean just as an example and it's worth stopping and listening to how you bend or how you do vibrato and if you're still doing it the same way that you've done it since you were just starting because just because you never stopped to think about what it is um it's an opportunity there that you would miss if you didn't stop and, and just give it a little bit of thought. And just, it's just an opportunity to, to make sure that you're being the, like we've been talking about being the most you or being the most true to your vision of music and not just falling back on habits all the time. Yeah. I think there's something about playing and not being, because we can all play and with abandon and, and just have fun. But there's something about being mindful in what you're doing that can take it from being a simple technique you know and turning it into an integral part of your personality on a guitar. And and mindfulness, I, I have a degree in psych, so like <laughs> these are things oh, we don't wow. really talked about. Um like that was that was uh, something that when I learned about that, um it was kind of eye-opening to how how you, you can do anything and not just playing music, but anything, you know, cooking, driving a car, <laughs> like literally everything yeah. you do. But it's um it's really cool to to kind of reflect in the moment like that when you're when you're practicing or performing. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of of that, I want to kind of transition a little bit to talking about your sound and and your tone. From, I guess, a theoretical perspective and then a gear perspective. So, like, how would you describe your sound on the guitar, like the sound coming out of your speakers? But then, and what are you thinking about from a gear perspective to kind of help you get there? Oh, this is the part I'm the most nervous about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, my sound from a uh, conceptual point of view 
is like a human voice. And I, I suppose it's kind of like my voice. I'm trying to do something on the guitar when I'm playing melodically, like maybe chord quarterly is a different thing, but when I'm playing a melody or, you know, soloing or whatever, I want it to feel like a voice, like my voice. And, um, so, I mean, you can hear the register of my voice. It's, it's not a big boomy voice, but it's, it's not a high voice. It's just kind of a mid register voice. Uh, there's some air in it and, um, that's what I'm trying to, to do on the guitar. I like kind of the low mid character of the guitar. I very rarely play above the 12th fret. And I, I've spent a lot of times on like the A string and the D string and the G string. Uh, somebody posted something on Instagram a few weeks ago. Like if you could only have three strings on the guitar, what, what would they be? And I forget what I said, but it was definitely stuff in the low mid range, probably A, D and B, if I could have three strings on the guitar. So that's what I'm trying to get at on the guitar. I want the guitar to speak. I don't want it to just, I mean, I love guitar language as much as anybody, but I, that's not what I'm trying to do on the guitar because there's already plenty of that in the world. So I don't need to like recycle, uh, you know, uh, other, other people's guitar language, like blues rock guitar language that we all know. So that's what I'm trying to do conceptually is speak and say, you know, have a kind of something that does that. So gear wise, how do I get there? Um, my favorite guitars are Gibson ES 335s, you know, or other stuff in that family. Um, I've played some, you know, old Epiphones that d d also do that thing. And I've played some new callings guitars that also do that thing, but that kind of guitar, I don't understand why it's that different from say a Les Paul or some other, you know, guitar of similar scale. And like, I don't know, I don't study the mechanics of, of guitar enough to have a good explanation of why a Les Paul doesn't do it for me in the same way that a 335 does. But 335 to me has a little more air in the sound. I know there's F holes and that means air, but I think it's not quite as simple as that. I think there's other stuff in the mojo of it. Um, great in the low mid register also can be great up high. Uh, they sound less stringy than strats and telecasters. They sound more vocal to me. 335s do. Um, you can, if you play a Fender style amp like I usually do, you can pretty much just plug and play. They don't need pedals. Everybody I know that plays a Strat or a Tele either has pedals to to help the sound uh, 
speak, or maybe they crank their amp up. Like Jimmy Vaughn, I think plays a strat into like two Fender style, like basement amps basically. And if I would, I don't, I could not make a strat sound the way say that, that he does, but a 335, especially with heavier strings over the years, I've mostly played 12 different, different, um, like I recently was listening to some of my early recordings with like with Nora Jones and the stuff on her first record. Cause somebody asked me, was going to ask me some questions about it. And I went back and listened and I, I can tell you that this, my gear then was a 79, with D'Addario 12, whatever their standard 12 gauge set was, but I switched out a plain G for the wound G that came with that set. And that was my sound for, a lot of years around that time, late nineties, early two thousands. Later after that, I started to play flat wounds because it had even more of this kind of soft vocal sound that I like. But recently I've moved back to round wound strings, like pure nickel strings, um, which I like, I don't know. I saw, I know, I know Rhett, you did, you did a video with Rick Beato where you where thinner strings did the thing that you wanted. And I, I saw that and I think, why am I doing this? What am I, why am I working so hard? Why am I playing 12s on this guitar? It's very, it's ridiculous. Um, but it does the thing that I like and it feels good. And I, I, when I first started playing, I was playing a nylon string when I was like just starting and maybe that tension and like, on a nylon, how hard you have to work to just bend a half step. You know, I think that sense memory is still with me. I think, so I share your affinity for the 335. I, I love, love that guitar and, and anything in that camp. And I'm a bigger guy. I'm six foot three. And so for me, oh, wow. a, a 335, just the shape of it is incredibly comfortable both sitting yeah. and standing compared to like a Les Paul, for example. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if, if maybe that has something to do with just the way you interact with a big semi hollow guitar is different than something like a Les Paul, but hearing you describe it too, it's also like a 335, in my opinion has a little bit spongier, softer attack, a little woodier sound overall. And it sounds to me, that's, that's what you're describing and what you like. You don't want something super fast and punchy and loud you want something a little softer a little rounder a little spongier those are exactly the words um uh yeah well even you know even when i was studying with ted green i'd go over to his place and he was always playing a telecaster but those were the kind of sounds that he got he got that soft spongy uh, sound on a Telecaster, I think with kind of heavy strings and maybe like turning the amp up a little bit, but playing with a lighter touch. Um, that's something that I, it took me a while to figure out. Like instead of just setting the amp at the volume you want to play at, go past that, but then don't play so hard. And then you have more of a dynamic range to, to, to play at. Like, Gosh, I'm getting so meta now. I think it was you that did this video about like finding 
like when you're turning the knobs on your amp, like notice, okay, where does it actually kick in like this yeah. mid range knob? And like, so yeah, I think that's super important to like find that stuff in the, in, in the tone and like, where does your amp actually start to come to life when you're turning these controls? And then on the volume, just go like a little hotter than you'd think. Like usually if, if I'm playing my guitar and I set the amp volume where, where I want to set it, if I handed my guitar to almost any other guitar player and they started playing it, it would be way too, it'd be loud. You'd be like, what are you doing? That's inappropriately loud for what we're trying to do here. Because my touch is very light and I can go to those places when I need to without stepping on a pedal because the amp is already there. I don't have to reach back and turn it. It's already, the amp is already there, but I'm just playing very lightly a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I think letting your amp, let the overall volume set the ceiling and then you kind of can play underneath. It's something, it takes a lot of time uh, spent to like understand that. Cause I feel like so many of us, especially if you use a lot of pedals or something, it's like you're just slamming into the front of that and it's just going to smush it up and compress it, which is fun, but you totally lose that, that touch thing that happens. Um, yes. when you're used to playing that big amp. And it is much more difficult to play with that control live versus in your room. Oh, because yeah. you that to me, that is true masterful level guitar playing it's like when you can do what you're describing adam where you are pushing your amp but then playing with as much dynamic control and making those choices like the the volume then becomes part of your expression on the guitar not just the notes you're playing and how you're playing them but how loud they're coming through that is like like Jedi level <laughs> guitar playing to be able to do that live when your adrenaline's pumping and when you're nervous and all you people are watching and you're and it, like, that is, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's the stuff that I'm trying to get. That's the, that's the stuff. Yeah. That's the stuff. Well, since we've been knee deep in this gear conversation and people have asked for it, Let's dip Let's it. Let's dip a rig. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I think you're going to like this. I, I Okay. It's my I first was, dip. <laughs> I wasn't getting too cute, I promise. <laughs> okay. There you go. Oh, wow. Oh, So there's wow. a lot of pedals I'm, here. Wow. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is from Mr. Zap on our Discord. And this is a 1954 ES-125. A 1963 Les Paul. SG. Uh, he's got a Fender uh, Princeton Reverb Tone Master, which is great. And then on the pedal board, we got a Boss Tuner, a Q-Sac, Fuzz, a uh, Blue Hippo Chorus, a Klon Centaur, Oops. Uh, Delay Llama Extreme, and a Mad Professor a Reverb. <laughs> okay. So a good, good rig. This can do, I mean, this can do a lot of, and there's a lot of pedals back on that piano too. I didn't even notice. Yeah. So he can uh -huh. do a lot of stuff here. <laughs> So start with the guitars here. So you said that's a ES125? That's right. Yeah, those are those are interesting. That that guitar is a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Adam, is that something you have more experience with? Yeah, that guitar looks so like that's all I'm looking at in this picture. Like that's to me is like the sexiest part of this rig. Um I love there's just, you know, one pickup, two knobs, uh that's all you need. And I, I really like the wooden bridge thing. That's something that 
not everybody loves people do want to have the the tunomatic but um i can i can hear that guitar and that, that uh, yeah that's a really sexy guitar to me <laughs> That's so interesting to say you can hear that guitar because I can hear it too. I've played a lot of those and they all live in, in a similar camp, especially it's that wooden bridge. I think is a big part of it um, because they just have like this like thumpiness and bigness, like big round to every day. It could have flat rounds. It can have round rounds. It doesn't matter. They're, they're yeah. such a cool guitar. And then, yeah. and then a, a 63 Les Paul. Yeah. They're pretty uh, far SG. apart there. Like it's same brand, but it's, I think you really couldn't get farther apart in terms of electric guitar yeah. <laughs> than those two. And 63, I, I'm looking at my 65 SG junior here. I, mm. I love those guitars. I would be interested to feel that one and feel what the neck weight is like. I imagine it probably doesn't neck dive because it's got that, uh, the sideways Vibrola yeah, on it. The Vibrola, which, <laughs> let's be honest, probably doesn't use, it's just there for aesthetic, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. So 63, th those would be patent sticker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they, right. Yeah. Nickel cover PAFs lost the patent pending or, or yeah. Yeah. Patent applied for a sticker um, by about 61. Nice. Mm -hmm. Nice. All right. So yeah, like, like my number one, three thirty five is sort of like if those two guitars had a baby. <laughs> yeah. It's a 64 with uh, with you know patent number pickups. It's got it's got the nickel covered, you know, it's got those pickups. It's got four knobs. It's really exactly that. Like like my number one guitar is if those two guitars had a baby. So um uh, yeah. Being 64, have you done the thing where you look at the serial number and see how far away it is from Clapton's or anything like that? I haven't done that. Should I do that? No, yeah. Don't do that. Oh, yeah, don't. do it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, don't do that. That was the first thing I thought. 64, that's like Clapton. Don't fall, prey. Don't fall prey to the guitar nerd shit. That's, that doesn't matter. Just me. Like, just be, like looking at the at the, the 125, I said I can hear it. I can smell that guitar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's beyond I can hear it. I can smell that guitar. Well, yeah. Mr. Zapp, I think um, if you ever want to sell that 125, you've got a uh, potential customer. <laughs> here yeah so but we didn't talk about the pedal do we want to talk yeah, about we're the gonna pedals? Get, we're, sure. so that's next up on the okay. list i mean obviously we okay. got to talk about the uh the big boy right in the middle there the clon and yeah and it's kind of hard to see let me see if i can zoom in here um the gain on that thing is Ooh. pegged Are, is that is <laughs> that the setting because that's hot zap will wow. have to tell us in the comments here because that i mean that's doing that's doing a lot of work right there that is a lot of work <laughs> yeah yeah, that's where that's where the magic diodes are, mm -hmm. right? Oh. That, that's what it is, right? Oh man, yeah, they're doing all the all that germanium goodness is 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 there, <laughs> and yeah. then, and and that that's a divisive uh, setting for most people. I don't like it, even though I make that style of pedal hand over fist. I, I never turn that knob that high, but some people mm. do. So you know, yeah, whatever blows your skirt up. I mean, some other honorable mentions here on this board. I really like, I have a Delay Llama Extreme and it's one of my favorite delays. It's so, especially if you like modulation in your delay, which I do, it does some really fun, funky modulation vibrato chorusing stuff, which is really great. Yeah. And and the QSAC Fuzz, I don't, I've not played it much. Um, the Blue Hippo is the classic analog chorus, you know, CE2 sort of vibes. Um, 
and he said he has this the the Matt Professor uh, Silver Spring reverb because he doesn't quite like the reverb on the Princeton. Um, uh-huh. But I mean, I think the Princeton with these guitars is a perfect pairing for most gigs. He says he's doing kind of a, a blues pop act. So I feel like, yeah. you know, if it's if it's not loud enough, you put it on a chair and then put a, a, a mic in front of it, you know? <laughs> totally. It's exactly right. Well, yeah. speaking of the Princeton, I feel like this is going to be the most controversial part of this rig. I can see the comments now, people being just angry keyboard warriors of the fact that they're well, playing a solid state. Okay. Amp. I... <laughs> disagree i think the tone master amps are fantastic i've not played the princeton mm-hmm. in fairness but i have mm-hmm. the deluxe and the the um super and they sound for what the for, let me let me with the caveat of for what the reissue amps do i like the tone masters a lot in fact i would probably buy the tone master over the tube counterpart in terms of a reissue because if you think about the you know deluxe reverb reissue princeton reverb reissue those are workhorse you know gigging amps put a beer on top of it it doesn't matter you know but that's different than a a black panel original you know princeton or deluxe and you won't have to worry about like hauling tubes with you for your next gig, Adam, if this was was backlined <laughs> because it's not going <laughs> to just crap out for no reason, hopefully. Yeah, I, I've played a few of these and like them. Um, there's a uh, there's a venue, there, there's lots of them around the U.S. called City Winery. Yep. Do you guys mm-hmm. know that venue? Yep. You have one in Atlanta, yeah. I think, Red. Yeah. And um, there's one in Chicago, there's one in New York, et cetera. And they all have the Tone Masters. And that was my first experience with 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 them. I've never owned one or, or played one outside of a city winery. But every time I've played one, uh, the Deluxe Reverb, they sound good to me. And this is going to, yeah, well, I don't know if it's divisive or not. But to me, the reissue tubed uh, Princeton Reverb and Deluxe Reverb amps like you say, they're workhorse amps. You, you put a beer on them. Uh, you put them back in the case. You ship them around. They, you can't kill them. But they don't, to me, as somebody who has owned a handful of actual vintage mid-60s Princeton reverbs and deluxe reverbs, they don't sound anything like those amps. To me, they don't sound like them. And they don't feel like them as far as the way the notes speak. And the Tone Master... I, I guess because it's model. I mean, I don't. I don't know the technology that they're using, but I feel like they worked. The engineers worked more to capture this vintage sound in the in the Tone Master than they did in in the reissue amps. The reissue amps are. I mean, what can you say? They're very robust amps, but they to me. In my experience, they don't capture the actual vintage vibe. Uh, So even though the Tone Master is using state-of-the-art technology, in the the player experience of it, it it gets a little closer to... I mean, at the end of the day, of course, I'd rather have hot tubes and horse glue and an old pine cabinet, of course. But... uh, if that would be my order of preference, if I showed up and on like my, I saw three amps, I saw an actual vintage Princeton reverb, 
a reissue and a tone master. My first, the first one I'd want to try out would be the old one. And then the second one would be the tone master. And if you're just a, a working musician, I think the tone master makes a ton of sense. Yeah. 100%. Because yeah. they got the DI out. You can, you can scale the output to match the room. They actually get really loud. I think they might even get louder than the tube version and they're lightweight. They're so light. It's a real workhorse amp. I think for this rig, I'm I'm really trying to find something to nitpick here. If if I had to change anything, I would probably change the layout of the pedal board. I'd probably go Ooh. with a a narrower tiered pedal board with your power supply mm-hmm. up under the tier. Mm-hmm. Um, that way you get the pedals spaced out a little bit. I don't like having the pedals stacked right up against each other like that. I think that creates mm-hmm. potential issues. Um, but dude, other than that, this is a killer rig. So I say swap the pedal board out for a narrower tiered board. This one gets 9.8 shoils for me. It's a high rating. (laughs) Yeah, I think think I'd I'd give this a solid, mm, I think a 9.5. I would would probably chop this pedal board down a little bit, maybe maybe ditch. um, Use that that reverb on the app. I know you don't like it, but like let's save some, let's save some, uh, some schlepping time here, you know? (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's it's incredible. Zap, it's awesome. Yeah. Do I have to give it a number? Oh, yeah. You do. You do. <laughs> You're contractually okay. obligated. I, <laughs> okay. Let me ask you guys a technical question that I don't know the answer to. Maybe you guys do. With the Tone Master amps, can you update anything or yes? Like like you can. Uh-huh. You can. Okay. And is the reverb something that you could? try something a different option with i don't think the re i mean it would depend on what fender would put in an update you know maybe they update the firmware and they update the the quality of the reverb algorithm but i don't think you have any choice or control over that yeah i see so you can can like change like the bright cap like get rid of that and like do some other things but yeah maybe down the road who knows yeah i mean i'm saying this this is kind of hype hype uh hypocritical because i do use a reverb pedal for the same reason i don't always trust the reverb in backline amps but uh leaving that aside i I do agree with you i'd probably lose the reverb uh, unless maybe like you're in a band where that's just so essential if you're like in a surf rock band where the reverb is so elemental to your sound maybe i would bring my own reverb or something but yeah i'd give this um wow I like this rig. I, I'm going to say 9.6. Nice. Right in the middle. I Strong. love it. Yeah. yeah. Man. Yeah. Good, good rig. This, this might make yeah. a hall of fame, a hall of fame. We should do like a hall of fame rig episode or something like that. Like yes, we should. The best yes. and worst of rig <laughs> dipping or something like a Christmas. Episode. Can I ask you guys one other, one other thing about that rig? We didn't get to, sure. nobody mentioned the coil, the coiled cable. Oh, Where yeah. do you guys stand on coil? Cables? I love them. I, it depends on who makes them. I, you know, it's like they add because every you know, cables have capacitance per foot, and when you when you do this, <laughs> it adds a lot of footage. Um, if that's your thing, if you need to roll off that high end, sure. Um, but it's I, don't, I would I I don't go for them personally. I think they look okay. rad, and I think a big part of playing live is the aesthetic, <laughs> and because you're putting on a show. And I, I think they look cool. I think they create a vibe. I'm, I'm all for them. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Let us not forget that. I There was a, a great musician that I used to play with, this guy, Bill Sims Jr. And he always showed up looking so sharp. And our drummer showed up one time to the gig looking less than sharp. <laughs> and he showed up and he starts setting up his gear and it, Bill looked at him and he said, like, man, I don't know what business you're in, but I'm in show business. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that, you know, like and <sighs> Thelonious Monk. Uh, have you ever seen that like page of like Thelonious Monk wisdom? Do you know who I'm, you know what yeah, I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. I haven't uh, seen it. So, yeah, it was like just collected little things that he said. Somebody in his band would like take notes every time he said something kind of cool. And like, you know, he had something about like, you know, what to wear for the gig and then all caps sharp as possible. <laughs> and of course, you know, the, a coil cable looks, it does look really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. man. If you're a rock band or, or anything re- remotely related to that, you should have amps on stage. I, I firmly believe this in an era where everyone's going DI with the modelers and front of house or artists, they want no stage volume or all that. I say to hell with that. If you're playing in a rock band or something similar, like people want, even if they don't know that they want to see, they want to see amps on stage. They want to see drums on stage. And as a guitar player, you need to have your amp on stage, making stage volume to interact with your guitar to kind of help create that sound and that aesthetic and i think it all matters man it all matters yeah if we were in the room i would give rhett a huge hug right now because i'm so i'm so down with all of that yes nice adam this has been great man i really appreciate you coming on and uh yeah let's do it again soon yeah we appreciate it it was awesome thanks guys man what a guy he's so nice to listen to like He's yeah, so thoughtful and yeah, his, his voice. I, I wanted to ask him if uh, his new book, if they have a, an audiobook version of it, of it. Cause I just want to listen to him read it to me. I want to hear him read tablature. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Three, five, seven, half step bend. Third fret of the fifth <laughs> string sliding up a minor third to, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be so nice. Yeah. I, I uh, I love the thoughtfulness of everything that he, that he's talking about, um, being like, you know, reflecting on what you're doing, all that stuff. I mean, you guys know me, I love getting like heady about these things. And, um, that to me is as inspiring as a player like that is, I think those things are so often overlooked. And for someone with that skill set to talk about those things, I think is really important for, uh, us, uh, uh, mere mortals <laughs> to kind of incorporate to our own thought processes. Adam is the type of player that I really look up to as is Tim Pierce, who you had on um, last week. I, these guys are so advanced, not in their technical prowess and how fast they can play, but in, t- in advanced in their just relationship with music and the guitar and how they think about it. And that's where I want to be one day. I just want to be, I want to have my own sound and be confident in my sound and, and just express my voice through the instrument. I'm not there yet, but I hope one day I can be like Adam Levy. Um, yeah. So yeah, like, like we said earlier, we'll have links to all his stuff um his, his website, his teaching materials, his YouTube channel, his, uh, his, his tour schedule. He's got some dates coming up. So please go and show Adam some support, check out his new book and his new record, all that's in the description box down below. 
Yeah. All right, we shilling? Well, we're shilling, baby. Let's shill. Let's go. So I have been using this. I got this a while ago, and I don't think I've talked about it. The big old Strobo Stomp HD. Oh, dude, those Man, are great. This thing, I wish I had a a patch cable nearby. The screen on this is so huge, yep. and it's so colorful. It's like and it's so <laughs> It is. It's so useful as a, a tool. There it goes. Man, nice. look at that thing. So good. Um, I love this. I, I, I never, I, I've never had a good tuner. I mean, I've had like clip-on tuners and stuff right. that like, like a, um, the snark. Str- no, not the snark. What's the white one? This the, the with the, the poly tune. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the only one I know. So, um, which I really like, and I've had I've had a boss tuner, and it's okay. Yeah, but, yeah, they're fine. But this thing is like. The fact that it has that sweeten mode and all the yeah, little, yeah, yeah, it's just I don't know. Get yeah, I use the app. Everybody. I have the app version, bought and paid yeah. for, not sponsored. Um, this thing is great, and and the thing is, strobe tuners are great. They they look intimidating, right? Like you look at this, and you're like, how the hell am I supposed to tell if that's in tune or not? Yeah. Uh, but they're pretty easy to use, and I actually like what Peterson has done with their sweetened tunings. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of different ones where, basically, if you don't know, it, um. There's different, like there's one for an acoustic guitar, for example, where they have adjusted each string individually so that the guitar plays more in tune in different places on the neck, and it's very mm-hmm. fascinating science and all that kind of shit. But yeah, I uh, it, when I was in band, in marching band, in concert band, we had an old con mm-hmm. uh, strobe tuner that we used for the band. We were like playing F and the whole wheel. band, and you hit the spinning yeah. one, and it glowed. And uh, every chance I got at school, uh, I would take my guitar and plug it into the input and tune it to that. Yeah. And so I've I've always loved strobe tuners. So th- it's let's explain real quick. It's the old school ones were spinning discs, and when they stop, they appear to stop spinning. It means you're in tune. Right. That's that's, that's it. all it is. This one is just moving up and down. Yeah. And basically, you have the different uh, the different size blocks are basically different levels of fidelity essentially so mm-hmm. um you the idea is to keep that block from moving up and down it's pretty simple yeah, yeah. nice all right my shill my, i've got an expensive shill here oh um so for the last probably eight weeks or i would say probably eight episodes um i have been using this as my audio interface for my uh my vocal here this is the Neumann MT48. I've been testing this out both on the YouTube channel and here on the podcast for the last probably six months or so. Um, basically, this is an interface Neumann released earlier this year. It's not cheap. They're really expensive. I think they're like 20. How much? We can put it in chat. Addison, put the price in the. 20,000. They're 20,000. They're not 20,000. <laughs> but. Um, I like this kind of stuff. I love recording gear. I love microphones and and interfaces and stuff. I've been a long time UA user. Um, This thing is really, really powerful. It looks like it's just a simple two channel, two in, uh, four in, out kind of thing, but it's actually not. It's really, really in-depth, tons of features, tons of IO over Ethernet um, and, and optical there's a lot of really cool internal routing options and mixing options for this. Um, it's This would make a really good centerpiece for a home studio. Someone who 
you need a couple of analog inputs, but you've got some outboard gear that you want to be able to tie in. Maybe you do a live stream or podcast. There's internal audio routing here for your computer. So you don't have to use like Soundflower or any other kind of, you know, internal audio routing system for a Mac. Um, multiple mixes. It's really cool touchscreen. It's a nice unit. Um, it's not a entry level beginner interface. It's something that is, you know, you've been working for a while and you want to upgrade from your focus, right? Or whatever. Uh, but you want to stick to a desktop unit. You might not want to go for like a big rack unit where you don't need all of the analog inputs and outputs of something that's bigger like that. MT 48. It's cool. Easy to use. Sounds really good. It's built. Well, I've, uh, I've enjoyed it. Neat. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. They did send that to me for free, by the way. So it's a shill, whatever you want to call it. But um, I genuinely haven't been enjoying listening to it. And maybe uh, next week, I'll tell you what interface I'm using currently. <gasps> well, before we get to that next week, uh, <laughs> thanks to all our patrons over on Patreon. Man, that's a hard thing to say. Um <laughs> Uh, we appreciate you guys. And if you want to learn more about sponsoring the show, being a part of the community on Discord and on Patreon itself, click the link, check out the tiers, learn about it. And if you want to get a Strobo Stomp like I have here, uh, I got mine at Sweetwater.com. You can get yours at Sweetwater.com. Thanks to Sweetwater for sponsoring the show. And thanks all you guys for watching. We appreciate it. Yep. Like and subscribe. Do all the YouTube stuff. We appreciate it. And we will see y'all on the next one.